We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 746 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, the day after the Philadelphia Eagles reportedly interviewed former Washington head coach Ron Rivera for their defensive coordinator vacancy. Yes, Ron Rivera perhaps about to get back in the saddle again, and for an NFC East rival of the Commanders, Ron as defensive coordinator of the Eagles. I mean, the jokes write themselves. Are the Eagles trying to give up more big plays? (laughs) Are the Eagles hoping to spend a bunch of first-round picks on defensive players who end up not being all that? Uh, Is Ron telling the Eagles that it'll take three to five years to fix the defense? (laughs) Did Ron, in his interview, say the two magical words, growth, and development. Give them to us, Ron. Growth and development? (laughs) Yeah, growth and development. Did Ron, during his interview with the Eagles, drop those two words, growth and development? I don't know. I do know that the Eagles hiring Ron as their defensive coordinator would add some spice to Commander's Eagles next season. That's for sure. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, what was as of a Monday evening, one of the top 100 podcasts in the country in the U.S. football category on Apple Podcasts. It is an honor, especially this time of year, to be top 100 among the who knows how many thousands of football podcasts that are out there. And this podcast is you and me. This is a revolution, man. We don't have some big company pushing us. We're not on some big platform, you know, like ESPN or Barstool or Odyssey or anything like that. No, this is you. This is me. We're like a militia, man, but we are making an impact. And I thank you for having this podcast where it is. Thank you for listening Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. It is possible that the commanders by the end of this week will know who they're hiring as their next head coach, but they this week cannot interview any of their head coaching candidates who are involved in the conference championship games. So Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, Detroit Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, Baltimore Ravens assistant head coach slash defensive line coach Anthony Weaver. None of those guys can be interviewed for a second time by the commanders until this Monday, January 29th. There are a lot of rules in the NFL with head coaching candidate interviews, but second interviews with those guys, if slash when those interviews happen, will be in person interviews because the ban on in-person interviews of head coaching candidates currently employed by other NFL teams ended with the conclusion of divisional round games on Sunday. However, the commanders this week can conduct interviews with head coaching candidates currently employed by NFL teams that are not playing 
on Conference Championship Sunday. And so we on Monday had multiple reports of the commanders in the coming days being set to conduct second interviews, these being in-person interviews with Los Angeles Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris and Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. Look, if the commanders can't conduct the second interview with their top target, Ben Johnson, until this Monday at the earliest, they might as well conduct other interviews and gain more intel. That's the thing. These interviews of head coaching candidates are like precious intel gathering sessions. As much as the interviews are true evaluations of head coaching candidates, it could be doing the commanders a lot of good to be hearing the opinions of a variety of respected coordinators slash assistant coaches about commanders players and what has gone wrong with the team and how the team can be better. Coming up on the show, not one, but two great guests. Next segment, I'm going to chat with Dave Kluge. Uh, Dave Kluge is a writer and podcast host for Football Guys and Fantasy Pros, and he's going to tell us about a study that he conducted on taking quarterbacks with top five picks in NFL drafts, as, of course, the Commanders have the number two overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft and are expected to take a quarterback. But what Dave found via his study is borderline shocking. Uh, We're going to get into that and a lot more about the realities of taking quarterbacks in NFL drafts. Uh, By the way, ESPN NFL draft analyst Mel Kuyper Jr., uh, he and his 2024 mock draft 1.0 has the commanders with that number two overall pick taking LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, not North Carolina quarterback Drake May. Very interesting. Uh, Here were Mel and ESPN's Field Yates on ESPN's First Draft podcast slash YouTube show. We're not going to give you the full 16 picks, Mel, but we we will give you number two because things get interesting, my friend. The commanders take a quarterback, but might not be the one that America is thinking. Who you got? I'm going Jaden Daniels, a quarterback from LSU, formerly of Arizona State, who Herm Edwards, who recruited him. I said, give me a cop. He gave me Randall Cunningham, Herm did, who knows Jaden Daniels as well as anybody. Everybody says Lamar Jackson. He went with Randall Cunningham. You look at the uh, skill set field, the dual threat capabilities, and the fact that he was aggressive with his throws, aggressive running with the football, yet he didn't turn it over. And that's a tough tap dance to be able to throw 40 touchdowns, four picks only, don't turn it over, yet go out there and just let it rip field. And he would let it rip to Brian Thomas Jr. and Malik Neighbors. Malik Neighbors has a chance to be a really high pick. Brian Thomas Jr. has a chance to be a mid-first rounder. So he did have two great receivers to throw to. But you look at the improvement he showed this year. Look at the touchdowns way up, right? Completion percentage, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was outstanding in 2022. Okay, he did some great things at Arizona State before he came there. He put on a little weight. He was not about a 180, 185 any longer. So I think the fact that Jaden Daniels did what he needed to do this year in terms of adding weight to that frame, improving in all areas to the point field where he went from a third, fourth, fifth round type of pick to a top five pick guaranteed, and I think the second pick overall. So when I look at, you mentioned the quarterbacks, okay? Mahomes extending things. Josh Allen being Superman out there. Lamar Jackson being unbelievable doing what he does, okay? Those types of quarterbacks that really, I think when you talk about threatening a defense, stressing a defense, you think you you have a defense. You saw Spagnuolo on the sidelines when Josh made that remarkable play, touchdown pass to, to Shakir, okay? He's just saying, there's nothing else we can do. Just chalk it up to being a great quarterback, Josh. You're great. And Mahomes, you're great. The great ones make unbelievable plays, okay? Nobody else can. Jaden Daniels showed that capability. That's why I think the dual threat capability that he has, the ability to do things that very few can do, is the reason why I think he could go number two overall. And also the fact that Drake May, late in the year, the Virginia, NC State, missing open receivers, not as accurate and precise as he has been and could be in the NFL. So I still love Drake May. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's going to go, I think, either two or three. But for Jaden, ride that momentum. Look at where he is as a player right now and look at the league and what those defenses really struggle against. That's a quarterback like Jaden Daniels. 
All right. Well, a lot there. You know, we have a lot of time between now and the first round of the 2024 NFL Draft. The first round will take place on Thursday night, April 25th. But we have a lot to discuss these next three months regarding the perceived top three quarterbacks in the draft. USC's Caleb Williams, UNC's Drake May, and LSU's Jaden Daniels. And those three may not be in that order. Uh, As for the other great guest on this installment of the podcast, Michael Bauman of the great Sabermetrics website, Fangraphs. Uh, Michael is going to discuss the Nationals and Orioles doing next to nothing (laughs) this offseason. What's going on? What should the Nats and Does be doing? What is the right way for teams in today's MLB to approach free agency. Uh, high level, high IQ, Nats and Doe's conversation, like you only get on this podcast, is coming up later in the show with Michael Bauman of Fangraphs. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Sterling Porter on the commander's roster. Right, Sterling, which players on the team do you think that the commanders must keep going forward. On a previous show, you mentioned that the team should be open to trading anyone, including Terry McLaurin, Deron Payne, and John Allen for the right price. Is there a player or are there players who you would say we cannot let go under any circumstances? Off the top, I can think of two players. The first is Brian Robinson Jr. I understand that this is a passing league, but when you have a lead, you want to be able to wear down the other team. And Robinson also is excellent as a pass catcher. The other player is Samuel Cosme. He proved his worth late in the season, and he is young. I also think that we should keep Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. They're not must-keeps, but they are keepers. If we draft a quarterback with the number two overall pick in the draft, I think that Howell and Brissett could buy us some time to let the new quarterback develop, like Jordan Love. Hopefully, not as long, though. (laughs) Thank you for the email, Sterling. Uh, Is there a commander's player, or are there commander's players who I would say that the team cannot part with under any circumstances. Uh, No, uh, I am not wedded to any of these players. I am very disappointed in the play of many of these players this season. And I think that trading any of these players should be on the table. Now, there certainly are players who I'm not looking to trade and who I think could be part of the team being good again very soon. And those players would include all of the obvious players. Uh, Receiver Terry McLaurin, running back Bride Robinson Jr., right guard Sam Cosme, interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, and safety Cameron Curl. So six guys right there, three on offense and three on defense. I certainly could see any or all of those guys being part of the team being good again really soon. But for the right price, I would trade any of those players. And of course, Cam is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. And while I'm certainly open to the commanders resigning Cam Curl, I would not pay him the uh, top of the market money that I believe he and his camp were thinking going into this season. Not sure if that still is the thinking now, but uh, that certainly seemed to be the thinking going into this season. When it comes to quarterback, Jacoby Brissett is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. I think that it's unlikely that he'll want to re-sign with the commanders, given that they're likely to take a quarterback with the number two overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft and have Sam Howell under contract for two more seasons. Uh, Jacoby's not re-signing with the commanders if there's a decent chance that he might be the QB3. Uh, He would have to be given some assurances from the commanders that he'd at least be their QB2 in order for him to re-sign with the team. Email from Dr. Philip C., the MD, uh, with an interesting theory on the man who reportedly was the other finalist for head of football operations for the commanders, Chicago Bears assistant general manager Ian Cunningham. Uh, The two finalists were Cunningham and, of course, the man who became commander's General Manager Adam Peters writes, Dr. Phillip, in regards to Washington interviewing Peters and Cunningham, if the Bob Myers connection was thought to be a strategic way of connecting with Adam Peters, then a similar thought process could reasonably wonder about the motivation of interviewing Cunningham from the Bears. I wonder if the commanders were doing a deep dive interview with Cunningham in order to try and tease out what Chicago's intentions might be 
with Justin Fields and the number one overall pick. Seems like it'd be worth trying, even if ultimately futile, before deciding to trade up, which most certainly has to be in play considering Rick Spielman's infatuation with Caleb Williams. Love the podcast. Keep knocking it out of the park. Uh, Thank you for that, Dr. Phillips. So that is an interesting theory. The commanders reportedly interviewed Ian Cunningham twice on back-to-back days, in fact, January 10th and January 11th. It is possible that the commanders in interviewing him twice might have been able to get a little something-something about what the Chicago Bears are thinking with the number one overall pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. Although, it may well be that the Bears themselves do not know what they want to do with the number one overall pick in the 2024 Draft. I do think that they're going to stay at one and take USC quarterback Caleb Williams, but who knows? Uh, Now, Dr. Phillip mentioned Bob Myers and Rick Spielman, two of the members of the Advisory Committee for Commander's Managing Partner, Josh Harris. Uh, Yes, it is true that Rick Spielman has raved about Caleb Williams, but two things to keep in mind with that. A, the raving happened months ago. Rick Spielman did this on an episode of his podcast, which is called With the First Pick. Uh, That episode of the podcast came out on October 3rd. Uh, We are now deep into January. A lot has happened since that episode of that podcast came out. Doesn't mean that Rick Spielman no longer feels that way, but it certainly is possible that he no longer feels that way. B, it's not a definite that Rick Spielman has any influence on commander's football operations beyond being on this advisory committee. Like, I don't know that his thoughts on actual players would be adhered to. The thoughts might be listened to, but I don't know that him feeling a certain way would matter much if the person in charge of Commander's football operations, Adam Peters, doesn't feel that way. Let's bottom line this. The primary reason for Rick Spielman being on this advisory committee may well be because of his connection to Ben Johnson. Point blank, okay? Like, that may well be the reason, with Rick's brother, former Lions and Buffalo Bills linebacker Chris Spielman being a big-time presence in the Lions' front office. Uh, Chris Spielman is a special assistant to Lions president and CEO Rod Wood and is a chairperson. Uh, Well, the Lions, of course, are in the NFC Championship game. Lions at the San Francisco 49ers this Sunday evening at 6.30. The AFC Championship game, the Kansas City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens this Sunday afternoon at 3. A whole lot of opportunity to make money via Underdog Fantasy, which offers daily pick'em games that are super easy and fun. Just correctly pick whether certain players at each game will go higher or lower, given totals, and you win. Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports, and it has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $100 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code GALDI and who make a first deposit of at least $10. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Underdog Fantasy also offers a season-long fantasy with a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even No lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra time consuming. Well, underdog fantasy removes the time consumption, but keeps the fun and the potential to win money and take advantage of the free money. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, we all love the NFL and we all love pizza. So make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, which is one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs. You can pick your favorite Little Caesars pizza. You can pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like picking NFL winners, only with Little Caesars pizza, you never lose. Uh, And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza. Hey, please consider following the podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of the podcast. Uh, If you are like me, you watch the NFL playoffs and you see what you see through a commander's prism. Uh, We have gotten used to this, right? Our team usually is not in the NFL playoffs. Uh, Washington has missed the playoffs in 25 of the last 31 seasons. Uh, You, during divisional round weekend, perhaps noticed that seven of the eight starting quarterbacks were first round quarterbacks, were quarterbacks taken in first rounds of NFL drafts. Indeed, for years, it has been true that most good NFL quarterbacks come from first rounds of NFL drafts. Not all, but most. But what about high up in first rounds of NFL drafts? Uh, The Commanders, as you may have heard, have the number two overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft. They appear very likely to take a quarterback with that pick or via whatever is done with that pick. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast a man who has done some really interesting research on taking quarterbacks with top five picks in NFL drafts. He is Dave Kluge. He is a writer and podcast host for Football Guys and Fantasy Pros. You can follow Dave on X at Dave Kluge, and Kluge is spelled K-L-U-G-E. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thank you for coming on. You last Tuesday, January 16th on X, posted a thread which began with the following, quote, I poured over the last 30 years of first round quarterback data and found out that drafting at number one overall gives teams overwhelmingly better odds at finding success for their franchise. My gut told me all top 10 quarterbacks are the same, but the data painted a very different picture. And quote, how'd you go about doing your study? And what did your study show you? Well, what I did is I looked through the last 30 years. I pulled every single first-round quarterback, obviously looking at the pick number that they were drafted at. And I just set some admittedly pretty arbitrary thresholds here. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can find success. Obviously, success is winning a Super Bowl, but you start looking at Super Bowl winners over the last 30 years, and you really, really get a small sample size here. So what I decided to look at were quarterbacks who have uh, thrown for 4,000 yards, quarterbacks who have had 30-plus touchdowns in a season, quarterbacks who have started 80 games, have had a playoff win, and have been admitted into the Pro Bowl. So kind of given five thresholds for arbitrary success here. And like I said, in the initial part of the tweet, you know, I thought all kind of 
top 10 quarterbacks were the same. You know, I'm, I'm a Bears fan, and I know you're a Washington fan, so this year's draft class means a lot to the, uh, the, the, the teams that are looking for quarterbacks here. And in my mind, I kind of deluded myself into uh, remembering a lot of the number one overall picks that busted, you know, the David Carrs and the Jamarcus Russells. And then you remember the Josh Allens and the Patrick Mahomeses and the Aaron Rodgers and these guys that go later in the first round. And I thought that there was going to be a pretty flat, you know, uh, definition of success among the quarterbacks at the top of these drafts. And I found out that the guys that went number one overall, the, uh, the, the QB one in their classes were overwhelmingly more successful. And if you want to go through the data, you know, I can as well, but, uh, you know, the likelihood of hitting a 4,000-yard season was almost triple that for a number one overall pick. Obviously, we're looking at some insulation with job security here. So starting 80-plus games, guys who were drafted number one overall were almost twice as likely to hit that as other first-round picks. Almost twice as likely to throw for 30 touchdowns in a season. More likely to get a playoff win. More likely to get a Pro Bowl. Pretty much every one of these admittedly arbitrary metrics that I picked out, uh, first round or number one overall picks are just much more likely to hit them than other picks in the first round. So expanding the sample to just top five picks, that lessened the hit rate. Yeah, drastically. And funny enough, you know, once you open it to the top 10, then you actually get a little bit better of a hit rate. And that, you know, you look at the uh, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, all in that six to 10 range. But yeah, you know, even the, uh, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth picks in the draft, which I felt would have had a pretty good hit rate, were astonishingly lower than the number one overall picks. That is fascinating and I think surprising given how much of an inexact science drafting quarterbacks is. Why do you think it is the case that quarterbacks taken with number one overall picks do so much better than quarterbacks taken with numbers two through five overall picks? I think what a lot of people uh, probably don't want to hear is that NFL scouts are a lot better at their job than we give them credit for. And like I said, you know, we kind of have this bias where we're going to remember the steals and remember the bus but the data shows us that we're actually a lot better at defining and uh, projecting these QB1s than anybody else. And I can go through the list of the guys who went first overall. Um, there's some guys out there that, you know, maybe you might not look at as wildly successful, but I think what you look at is, is at least a relatively safe floor with these guys. So Bryce Young last year, jury's still out on him, terrible rookie season. But Trevor Lawrence, you know, despite, you know, it, it, it's crazy to me that people are already throwing around the term bust for a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who I think has looked pretty good despite some not so great circumstances in Jacksonville. But even that, you know, he is still checking some boxes and looking pretty good through his first couple of years. Joe Burrow, obviously great. Kyler Murray has looked really good. He got his big extension. The Arizona Cardinals are hoping to do it with him. Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, both in the playoffs right now. Jameis Winston is a guy who, yeah, he checked the 4,000 and the uh, 30 touchdowns, but I don't know if we're looking at him as, a, as, as you know, a great player here. But then Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Sam Bradford is one of the busts that I talked about. Matthew Stafford, Super Bowl winner. Jamarcus Russell, one of the other few busts. Alex Smith, Eli Manning, Carson. Palmer, David Carr, the only other bust out of the last 30 years, and then Michael Vick, oh, Tim Couch, another bust, Peyton Manning, and Drew Bledsoe. I mean, you look through all of those guys, yeah, there's four or five guys in there that you might not have been too happy with, but all of those guys were long-term starters in the NFL for the most part. I, on this podcast, have done the exercise of figuring out the hit rate on first-round quarterbacks. And who is a hit and who is a miss can be somewhat subjective, but I found the hit rate over the last decade or so to be between 35 and 40%. Uh, not supremely high, obviously. Why is the hit rate on first-round quarterbacks not higher? Well, I think the teams get desperate, and that's what it is. You hear that good teams are always drafting the best player available, and you see, I think the uh, Green Bay Packers are a shining example of that, a team that will draft the best player available. They'll take a quarterback if he slides to the drafts when they don't need one, and they're addressing positions that they don't need because they're getting the value there. And I think you see a lot of maybe not so well-run franchises are the ones that are reaching for quarterbacks because they're desperate to hit on that guy. And, yeah, I mean, it really is – bad if you look at the other first round quarterbacks that were drafted um you know just these thresholds that i picked out four thousand yard season the number one overall pick is 70 percent likely to hit that rate while other first round picks guys who were selected two through 32 have a 25 percent rate of hitting that just way 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 lower and like i said you know we remember the guys who paid off you know dante culpepper ben roethlisberger all these big names but for every one of them there are four or five 
J.P. Lozman's and Byron Leftwich's and guys that really didn't get it done. So I, I think that what it comes down to is teams just getting desperate and reaching for quarterbacks earlier than they should in the draft. If an NFL team such as, oh, I don't know, the Commanders uh, is in need of a franchise quarterback, day one of an NFL draft is much more likely to yield a franchise quarterback as compared to days two and three, correct? Yeah, uh, and and of course, you know, we like I said, we 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 kind of delude ourselves with this bias into thinking that you can get guys later. And yeah, Tom Brady, everybody's going to remember Tom Brady, Dak Prescott right now, Brock Purdy. But realistically, if you look at it, I mean, I, I think one of the worst things you can do, and this kind of loops into you being a Commanders fan, is trading up for a quarterback, and that's something that we see a lot of. And we're not going to really see the ramifications of trading up for quarterbacks and how bad that can hurt a team because. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles did it a few years back with Carson Wentz, and then they stumbled into second-round Jalen Hurts. Brock Purdy really saved what should have been an embarrassing trade for the San Francisco 49ers. They traded up for Trey Lance, gave up three first-round picks for that selection, and had they not stumbled into Brock Purdy in the seventh round the very next season, this team would be in shambles right now. Who knows what they'd be doing at quarterback. So those are two examples where teams traded up for quarterbacks and it probably didn't work out. And then those two teams just happened to get very lucky within the next few drafts with a late round quarterback. Much more with Dave Kluge in moments, but if you enjoy Commander's Conversation, always really good Commander's Conversation at bgobsession.com. Placate your burgundy and gold obsession at bgobsession.com. BG Obsession, or BGO, has been the home of the most knowledgeable, friendly, and passionate Washington fans on the web since 2009. BGO is a special place at which you can join your fellow fans for some smart football discussion, great contests, game day chats, and even lifelong friendships. So what are you waiting for? Visit and join BGO at bgobsession.com, home to your burgundy and gold obsession. We're talking with Dave Kluge, a writer and podcast host for football guys and fantasy pros about the realities of taking quarterbacks in NFL drafts with the commanders, of course, having the number two overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft. Uh, So with me being a Commanders fan and you being a Chicago Bears fan and my team having that number two overall pick in the 2024 draft and your team having the number one overall pick in the 2024 draft, what do you think of USC quarterback Caleb Williams versus North Carolina quarterback Drake May? So I think there's a pretty big gap between Caleb Williams and Drake May. I think the the gap is pretty wide, but regardless of that, you see these guys going second overall so often in drafts with a very clear cut uh, QB one, and sometimes it does work out. You know, uh, as as a Washington fan, you know RG three. You know, second overall, you probably deserve to go second overall behind Andrew Luck. But then we've also seen the Ryan Leafs and the other guys that get inflated in value. I think. Drake May is probably a guy who deserves to go in the 5-10 to 10 range, but because of, I don't want to say desperation, but there's a lot of teams right now that are looking for that quarterback, Washington being one of them, New England being another, that I think Drake May probably does end up going number two. But I think that Caleb Williams is really the standout QB1 of this class. He deserves to be the number one overall pick. I'm not sure that any of these guys really deserve to go in the 2-5 to five range. I think that there's some guys who certainly could hit Drake May, like uh, Jaden Dan. Jalen Daniels as well, but um, I, I, I think that looking at the way things are shaking out right now, I think that Marvin Harrison Jr. probably deserves to be the number two pick ahead of these other quarterbacks. That being said, I would almost bet on it that that one of the uh, quarterbacks ends up going two overall. You earlier said that trading up for a quarterback is a dangerous thing to do, but if the commanders could trade up from two to one to take Caleb Williams... Would you advise them doing that? Uh, I would, and I don't know if the Bears are going to, but you know, I've seen trades where uh, you know, possibly giving up the 2025 first-round pick to move up one. I think that's pretty safe. I think another thing to look at when looking at number one overall picks, not all number one overall picks are built the same. You know, there's a lot of guys who have kind of been that consensus 
QB one of their class for a year after, like you know, for for two years coming into the draft. And Caleb Williams fits that bill. And if you look at the other guys who fit that bill, it's Trevor Lawrence, it's Baker Mayfield, it's Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Peyton Manning. So the hit rate for those guys that have kind of held on to that consensus QB one uh, title for their class for back to back seasons is much higher than even the other number one overall picks. So as a Bears fan, um, this study helped me uh, kind of formulate my opinion a little bit. I hope that the Bears do hold on to that pick, but I think that as a Washington fan, if you're hoping to move up, I think giving up next year's first to move up even one pick would be worth it. What do you think about the Bears' current QB1, Justin Fields? So I think that Justin Fields can absolutely be a winning quarterback. I think that he's very good. He's shown the flashes. But for a guy like Justin Fields to succeed, he needs almost every single thing around him to be essentially perfect. And the Bears are luckily in a position where they could build a team like that for him. You know, they can trade back and get a haul for the number one overall pick and add multiple first rounders to this roster. But I think the difference is Justin Fields, where he needs everything around him to be great. He needs a good defense. He needs a good wide receiving core. He needs good pass blocking. He needs a strong run game. Um, the difference is Caleb Williams doesn't need all of that to succeed. A guy like Caleb Williams, we saw it with Andrew Luck, where he wasn't on the best rosters, but he was elevating the talent around him. Obviously, Peyton Manning, um, you know, he, he he made everybody around him better. Trevor Lawrence right now might not have the best roster, but he is still getting it done despite not having the best teammates out there. We've seen it with Cam Newton, and I think that's the type of player that Caleb Williams is. You don't need everything else to fall into place. Caleb Williams can elevate those around him, and we're seeing that right now with Patrick Mahomes as well. And you know, I don't want to throw around the term generational because I think we see these guys coming to the league probably every five or eight years rather than every 20 or 25 is generational would imply. But I think Caleb Williams is cut from that cloth where he doesn't need to be in a perfect scenario. You can throw him on any team and he's going to instantly make that team a playoff contender. The NFL is a big-time passing league. Uh, NFL teams now have access to data like never before, and yet there still is this extreme variance with drafting quarterbacks. I mean, this season is a perfect example. Bryce Young taken by the Carolina Panthers with the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft. Terrible. (laughs) C.J. Stroud taken by the Houston Texans with the number two overall pick in the 2023 draft. Great. Why aren't NFL teams better at identifying who the best quarterbacks in NFL drafts are? That's a good question. And I think that one of the reasons I really wanted to do this is because of uh, last year, where Bryce Young drafted number one overall, clearly is going to be the inferior quarterback to C.J. Stroud. So that's another bias that kind of leaks into our, uh, you know, napkin analysis here is recency bias and we just saw last year well the second quarterback off the board was better than the first quarterback off the board so that assuredly means that drake bay is going to be better than caleb williams right and yeah you know it's certainly possible but um i'm not buying into it too much i think that is kind of a fluke if you look through at all of the other number two overall picks um outside of cj stroud they really don't have a strong track record you know mitch trubisky as a bears fan um and also a north carolina quarterback comes to mind immediately i think that he comps somewhat well to drake may even uh outside of just the helmets there uh carson wentz you know he had some decent seasons but wasn't too great marcus mariota a number Another number two overall pick really didn't pan out. RG3, we talked about, he probably would have been in the C.J. Stroud tier, you know, a guy that would have gotten it done if not for the uh, the injury there. But the the more you scroll down, the number two overall picks just really don't have that great of a hit rate. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think last year was kind of the exception to the rule more than something that we can expect to be the trend going forward. All four of the starting quarterbacks for conference championship Sunday this Sunday are mobile quarterbacks to varying degrees. How important is mobility for a quarterback in terms of a team that is thinking of taking a quarterback with a high first round pick? Uh, I think that's very important, especially in today's NFL. It's changed so much. And we see that, you know, even the, 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 best young quarterbacks out there, even if they don't have that Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen upside, still have some 
bit of mobility. We're seeing it with Brock Purdy over the last couple of years. He might not be a guy that's going to rush for a thousand yards, but he's still able to play outside of the structure of the offense. He can get moving with his legs and uh, get outside of the pocket. Joe Burrow is another guy that does that really well. Justin Herbert as well. So I think it's very, very important. The game has just changed. It just adds another layer for the defense to worry about rather than sitting back in coverage. You know, now you have to worry about a rushing quarterback. Um, so I think that it is very important. And um, I, I think if you look at almost all of the first round picks coming into this year uh, or in, into the class this year, they all have that rushing upside to some extent. And I don't know if we're going to see a lot of statues getting drafted into the NFL, especially in the first round these days. Uh, it's just something that's almost mandatory now to be an NFL quarterback. You have to have that rushing threat. So Caleb Williams is obviously the best of the bunch. Jaden Daniels is a magnificent rusher as well. But even Drake May, you know, he can still run outside the pocket and get it done. So I think that's just the way that the NFL is changing, that if you don't have that athleticism, you're not going to be able to make it as an NFL quarterback. All right. By the way, uh, as a Bears fan, are you happy with our friend edge defender Montez Sweat off the trade between our teams this past Halloween? Absolutely am, yeah. Uh, pretty pretty happy about that. I, I think it speaks volumes for both franchises that Montez Sweat was the first player ever to lead his team in sacks for two separate teams. That just uh, kind of speaks volumes about both the Commanders and Bears right now. <laughs> that says so much about so much, <laughs> no doubt. Dave Kluge, writer and podcast host for Football Guys and Fantasy Pros. Dave, thank you for your time. Thank you. All right. Well, getting it right with drafting quarterbacks may be tough, but finding the right catering service is easy. Catering by Uptown. It is the DMV's number one catering service, and it now is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Newly engaged couples can get 5% off any catering by Uptown wedding package. Just call 301 501- 572-7744. Set up your own personal tour of one of Catering by Uptown's premier waterfront venues and mention that Al Galdi sent you to get the discount. If you are planning a wedding, you want great service, but you also want a great price, right? Well, Catering by Uptown provides both. Call 301-572-7744 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Catering by Uptown also can help you if you're planning a party or a corporate event. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. And don't forget about the great offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Newly engaged couples can get 5% off any Catering by Uptown wedding package. Just call 301 301- 572-7744. Set up your own personal tour of one of Catering by Uptown's premier waterfront venues and mention that Al Galdi sent you to get that discount. That's 301-572-7744. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, believe it or not, we are less than a month away from the starts of Nationals and Orioles spring training camps. Uh, Nationals pitchers and catchers will have their first workout of 2024 spring training on Valentine's Day, February 14th. The Nats' first full squad workout will happen on February 20th. Uh, Orioles pitchers and catchers will have their first workout of 2024 spring training on February 15th, and the Orioles' first Full squad workout will happen on February 20th. Uh, Neither the Nats nor the O's have done much of anything (laughs) this offseason. The Nats on December 12th officially announced having agreed on one-year contracts with two free agents, infielder slash outfielder Nick Senzel, who the team labeled a third baseman and reliever Dylan Floro. And that is it. 
for the Nats in terms of Major League free agent signings this offseason. The Orioles on December 6th announced that they had agreed to terms with free agent reliever Craig Kimbrell on a one-year contract for the 2024 season with a club option for 2025. And that is it for the O's in terms of Major League free agent signings this offseason. The Nats, of course, are rebuilding, so them not doing much this offseason is perhaps justifiable. The O's, though, are contending. Uh, The O's in the 2023 regular season went an American League best 101 and 61. And of course, lurking over both teams is ownership uncertainty, to say nothing of the Masson dispute. But regarding the ownership uncertainty, the learners have had the Nats for sale since at least April 2022. And it was this past December 8th that Bloomberg reported that Washington, D.C. area billionaire David Rubenstein was in talks to buy the O's. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Michael Bauman of Fangraphs. Uh, He wrote a piece that came out this past Friday. Headline, quote, let's poke the Washington Nationals with a stick (laughs) to see if they're still alive. End quote. You can follow Michael on X at Michael Bauman, which is spelled B-A-U-M-A-N-N. Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I will ask you about the O's, but you wrote about the Nats and you late in the piece wrote, quote, I don't have a conclusion here because after having spent more time inhabiting the mental space of Washington Nationals leadership than I would ordinarily care to, I am left without any idea of what the plan is supposed to be, end quote. What do you think that the plan might be? Well, the plan is probably to sell the team. And I was trying not to just be reductive and say, you know, like you said, that they're cutting costs and trying to boost the value of the franchise and get some of these big contracts off the books in in advance of selling the team. I think that would be the best thing for it because traditionally, like I said in the piece, children of good owners tend not to be good owners themselves. Uh, And the Nats are one of many teams that's sort of living through this right now. Uh, But that's a really unsatisfying answer. And I was trying not to be just that cynical off the bat. Uh, but just looking at the Nats, they've been in this rebuild for a while now. They've, you know, they're coming off uh, three or four straight losing seasons. They haven't really looked even remotely competitive since they won the title in 2019. And they don't really have a whole lot to show for it. And I think that that title was so memorable and the flags fly forever argument, uh, it, it, they definitely fly forever now, uh, but you're going to wake up, or Nats fans, I think, are going to wake up in a couple years and realize that all those big trades they made from Scherzer, Turner, Soto, that really could have uh, put this team back on the track to, to contention relatively quickly have not really amounted to a whole lot. And compound on that, some real... Uh, some real problems developing, particularly on the hitting side, that I think are very well known within the the baseball community, but might not be uh, as obvious to casual fans. And then just the fact that they're running just rock bottom payrolls right now. And there are several ways for a team to build a competitive roster. And you have to be rich or smart or lucky. And the Nats really aren't any of them right now. And getting out of this hole, I think it's going to take a lot longer than Nats fans uh, probably realize right now. So to me, there's a lot to be said for letting a rebuild breathe. Like the Nats have their top two prospects, outfielders Dylan Cruz and James Wood. The Nats have three other notable outfield prospects and Robert Hassel III, Elijah Green and Dalen Lyle, Uh, although both Hassel and Green had bad 2023 seasons. But the Nats also have other enticing prospects and two third basemen, Brady House and Yohandi Yo-Yo Morales. So the Nats still have Pitching prospect Cade Cavalli, who is coming off Tommy John surgery. My point is, I do think that there's merit to the idea of the Nats seeing what they have, seeing what they don't have, and then spending. Spend when you're ready to win. But with that said, what should the Nats be doing this offseason? Well, I, I actually think that's kind of outmoded thinking, the, the idea that you don't spend until you're ready to win. Now, you know, they shouldn't be going out spending $25 million a year on Josh Hader you know, or something like that, but you can make targeted one or two year acquisitions that can turn into players who maybe they have some success in Washington. They like the organization, they stick around and they're that supporting cast that's there when wooden crews are ready. And that's, I think the, 
the big thing that they've really stumbled on is they've had developmental problems with Elijah Green, with Robert Hassel, with a, a lot of guys with C.J. Abrams, who's been fine but was supposed to be better than that. A lot of these players, uh, they're not getting that that nest ready for these two superstars to come into. And I think that the, the model rebuild for me, if you're going to tear it all the way down to the studs, is the Houston Astros. They had advantages that the, the Nationals don't. First of all, they started stealing signs, you know, Maybe, maybe cheating is the way to go for the Nationals. But what they did that I really liked early on in their rebuild is that they gave a lot of opportunities and developed players who they got for nothing uh, and put them in a major league role, gave them a chance to fail and grow through those, those lumps. And so by the time Carlos Gray was ready, by the time George Springer and Lance McCullers were ready, those guys had already were already at core. I'm talking about players they you know, Jose Altuve, uh, Dallas Keuchel, who won a Cy Young Award, Colin McHugh, who won 19 games in that 2015 season, Marwin Gonzalez, who was a useless utility infielder who turned into an all-star. The Nationals, because they've been so weak developing hitters in the high minors, it's they've been unable to do that. So I think that they need to start building that core to make sure that team is ready for when to do you know, what the, the Diamondbacks did last year. You know, Corbin Carroll was there. That He's sort of like the best-case scenario for Dylan Cruz, and they already had a, a supporting cast based on guys like Christian Walker and Cattell Marte, who they had sort of bought low on and developed up and turned into really good. Merrill Kelly is another example. who had, They had bought low on guys like that and developed them into the supporting cast that made, made – uh, promoting a superstar prospect, more of a plug-and-play operation than what the Nats are able to do right now. A key point that you make in the piece is that even if Dylan Cruz and James Wood end up being great for the Nats, the window for the team being great may be small, given that we're already multiple seasons into the service time clocks of other key young players in the Nats rebuild, namely shortstop C.J. Abrams and starting pitchers Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. I wonder if you could expound on this, the timing of a rebuild. It's so hard to time when guys become good, right? But uh, that does matter given service time considerations. It's not really something you can plan for. I think you just try to get as many good players as you can and develop them as, as quickly and as fully as possible. But the Nats are in an awkward situation because Abrams and, and Kieber Ruiz and Mackenzie Gore and Robert Hassel didn't turn into these franchise players in and of themselves. They're now sort of at a best case, like a supporting cast. And that supporting cast is going to get old and expensive right when Wood and Cruz are ready. And that, by the way, assumes that Two players who, as high as I am on both of them, have a lot of question marks still to, to answer about their development. So if those guys, by the time those guys are in the majors embedded in, it'll be 2025, 2026, and then you'll start losing Gray, Gore, Abrams to, to free agency, or you'll have to and you'll have to replace them and start all over. And then that huge fire sale at the middle of 2021 will end up not really contributing that much to the next good national team. And it just pushes the, the window back further. And so... If you're looking at where the Nationals are now, they're in a very situation, a very similar situation to where the Phillies were in like 2016 and 2017. They're in a similar situation to where the the Royals are right now, or where the the Rangers were in 2020. But they don't have that high level. They don't have an Aaron Nola in the majors right now. They don't have a Bobby Wood Jr. in the majors right now. And so, just not having that good young, they're sort of backed up compared to these other kind of long, frustrating rebuilding processes that we've seen uh, over the past couple seasons. So they're in a, I, I think that you know, once you win a title and it all falls apart, fans, I think, are rightly inclined to be patient with the team. But that patience, I think, is going to run out before the, the Nationals aren't really in, in a position to capitalize, uh, before, I should say, before their pa- that fan patience runs out. Along those lines, something that I've advocated for is the Nats this offseason, instead of spending money on free agents, spending money to sign a C.J. Abrams or a Josiah Gray to a long-term contract extension that buys out arbitration years and some free agency years, doing as the Atlanta Braves have done so often. What do you think about the Nats doing that this offseason? I think... That makes sense to an extent, and you look at guys like like Gray and Abrams who maybe are a little younger. Maybe you try to steal a year or two of free agency that buys you time to, to develop uh, Wooden Cruz. 
But the problem is, these guys aren't as good as the Braves guys. There's not a Ronald Acuna Jr., there's not an Ozzie Albies, there's not an Austin Riley, there's not a Spencer Strider in this group. And so, at that point, you're just locking up kind of league average at best players. And those those guys are useful, absolutely. Like, the Phillies don't get to where they are in the past two seasons if they don't have, you know, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott. Um, you know, those guys are not stars by any stretch of the imagination, but you need players like that to fill out the roster. But I don't think that there's a player on the major league roster for the nationals right now, unless there's somebody obvious that I'm, that I'm missing that, that it makes sense to throw that sort of nine year, $120 million contract at the Corbin Carroll deal, the Acuna deal, you know, something like that. And so that's really part of the, Part of the problem, like if Gore or Abrams had been the players had had hit their 90th percentile outcome, then absolutely that would be a thing that, that the Nationals should be doing. But it just you know it's it all comes back to that sort of high minors hitting especially developmental laughs. And if I were in, if you gave me a hundred million dollars to spend on the Nationals, that's where I'd be investing on process stuff, behind the scenes things, coaching, and that's not the the roster that they have right now. There's no doubt that the Nats have been woefully lacking in terms of the process stuff, analytics, sports science, etc. And that's a big reason for why the Nats have been so bad at drafting and player development for years. I mean, it still is remarkable what has happened with the Nats over the last six months. Uh, The team on September 13th officially announced having agreed with President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo on, quote, a multi-year contract extension, end quote. And yet, the team has, like, totally redone its setup beneath Mike. The team's scouting and player development operations have been revamped. And of course, those are things that have been presided over by Mike Rizzo. So if you think so little of your scouting and player development, why did you extend the person in charge of the scouting and player development, Mike Rizzo? Uh, Anyway, we're talking with Michael Bauman of Fangraphs about the Nationals and Orioles' glaring lack of activity this offseason. In trying to assess just how well the Nats rebuild is going, when is it safe to say that you have a good handle on what a player is? Like C.J. Abrams, he was taken by the San Diego Padres with the number six overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft. He's entering just his age 23 season, but the 2024 season also will be his third major league season. He's coming off a 2023 regular season in which he registered a wins above replacement for baseball reference of 3.4. How do you know when you know about a young player? That's a great question. And it, Ironically, because we know so much about player development now, even at the public level, that question is becoming harder to answer because you find things in a, in a swing or you teach a guy a new pitch or you know, it's something changes with his delivery that allows him to repeat it better and locate better, and the entire outlook for that player can change overnight. And so I don't want to give Nats fans false hope that like this is going to happen to all their guys, but we do see players still take big leap forward big leaps forward in their their mid to late 20s when something just clicks for them maybe something's going on in their personal life you know i don't don't know any of these young nationals players well but you know we've seen guys just clean up something in their personal life and and they get better on the field it's it's very unpredictable what i would say generally is that within maybe 500 plate appearances you know when the superstar potential is starting to to fade so like is is cj abrams uh a two-win player, you know, league average player, is he a four-win player? That's like a first division division regular. That I think is very, you know, very much still up in the air. I think the the optimism for him being maybe like a down ballot MVP cal, uh, caliber player, that's probably starting to fade with this this much uh, um, exposure to to uh, major league pitching. You find out pretty quickly if the guy has the goods on that level or not. Let's get to the Orioles. Uh, Now, in fairness to them, they last offseason did very little, got killed for that, and then they had the best record in the American League for the 2023 regular season. However, there is a concern, and I know that I have this concern, that Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias wants to be doing more, but is not being allowed by ownership to do more. Uh, What do you make of the Orioles' lack of activity this offseason? 
they absolutely should be doing more. Uh, ironically, the day before my Nats piece ran, my colleague Ben Clemens, who's very smart, wrote a similar thing about the Orioles, like basically asking them to do anything, which they hadn't. And I just I want to impress on people how rare it is to come up with Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson at the same time, and then have uh, Jackson Holiday potentially, who could also be that good, coming right along the line. And that's you know leaving aside guys like Austin Hayes, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, who are gonna be those kind of foundational secondary supporting players on a championship team, they they developed a Hunter win team almost entirely internally. That's so rare. And so to continue not to support that, I think is just such a travesty. I think I don't Mike Elias is one of those GMs or, or front office heads who I actually don't know if he would go out and spend if, if the the reins came completely off him. But until but I also don't think we're going to find out until there's a sale or the Angelos family grows up a little bit because that that ownership situation is just an absolute mess. Uh, so I'm not willing to blame Mike Elias yet for this, but it's. They need to go out and sign a pitcher. They should have been in on Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola should have been, would have been transformative for this team. Uh, and they have $25, $30 million a year to spend on that kind of front of rotation arm. Him or Sonny Gray, go get Blake Snell. He's out there and his price is only going down. It, it's just such a waste to to have a team with that much young talent and not support them, not give them the best chance to succeed. I went down to – I was at both their playoff games last year. And, you know – I'm used to like Philly's playoff game, so the the bar is is pretty high. But this was right there, like the, just the desperation in that fan base for anything good to happen, and seeing that, like seeing those dreams realized, even if they got boat raced in those two games, was just it was it was moving. Like I, I think it was I, I got a little emotional, and I just don't know how you look at that. Look at what they've created, and don't try to make the absolute most of it. So if they don't go out and get in on on Snell or Montgomery or some of the other big remaining free agents or go out, make a trade, go trade for Dylan Cease. Like they've got so much depth. They've got not only payroll, you know, space underneath the the competitive balance tax, uh, but they've got depth in the high minors. So it'd be attractive to teams that are selling off those kind of players that would really be, you know, just give them more rotation depth, give them depth in the lineup so they don't have to, go out and start Dean Kramer in an elimination game next off or next postseason. I just think there's so much potential there. And if it doesn't go real, if it doesn't go like fully supported, I, it'll be really upsetting. As you know, the history of mega money contracts in MLB is undeniable. Uh, most of the contracts do not work out from a club perspective. I mean, to put it in Nationals terms, for every one Max Scherzer contract, there are multiple Steven Strasburg contracts, in large part because what so often happens in free agency is a team pays for what a guy has done as opposed to what he will do. That said, free agent signings can and do work. What to you is the appropriate way for an MLB team to view free agency in 2024? So I think with the argument you've just uh, outlined, I think that was how things were about 15 years ago. And what's happened since then is two things. One, teams have gotten smarter about the aging curve. They've gotten smarter about self-scouting and which players to lock up and which ones to let go. And so you're seeing fewer of those misses. Um, and they're also realizing the potential that you have in you know younger free agents like Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, uh, Juan Soto coming up this year. And the other thing is the pay gap on a per-year salary basis between the absolute top-tier free agents and the guys who are just kind of okay is so narrow now. So the best deals, actually, are players or free agents like Shohei Otani, like Soto will be next year, like Yoshinobu Yamamoto. That's where you should be shopping. That's where the best bang for your buck is because not only – are you getting like a superstar? You know, a superstar costs thirty to thirty-five million dollars a year now, and like an innings eater, like Jack Flaherty, got fourteen million dollars this year in free agency. Lance Lynn, who I love but was not good last year, got ten million dollars. Like, wouldn't you rather have? You know, your Bryce Harper's making his cap or his uh, his tax hit is between I think twenty-three and twenty-five million dollars. That's ridiculous. And so that's where teams should be shopping is that very, very top of market. And 
there's so much money in the game now that you can miss on those shorter term deals for maybe second tier free agents. And it doesn't really do that much to set back the team. Like the Nats right now are, are they they whiffed on Steven Strasburg. Like that's going to go down as, as one from the team perspective, one of the worst contracts in baseball history. Uh, and that's still not the thing that's preventing them from contending. They, they're spending so little money elsewhere. And so, yes, there are high-profile misses, but free agency, I think, is less risky now than it's ever been at any point in baseball history, uh, particularly if you're going out and pursuing superstars. And you know, as far as whether that's achievable for for Baltimore and Washington, it was achievable for the Nats the last decade. If you know, if they could make that sale uh, to guys like Max Scherzer and Jason Worth and Patrick Corbin, look what they did for that franchise. And there's no reason that if they build another competitive team, they won't be able to do it again. And I think that the same thing goes for Baltimore. They were doing this in the '90s, and you know, you're telling me you don't want to go play in that ballpark. Play, you know, it's a great city. Play with that young core. I think that if they wanted to, they could make that a really attractive free agent destination. And the smartest place for them to, to spend their money would be the, that very top, like I said, of the free agent market. Final question for you. Both the Nats and the O's do little, if anything, with Asian players. Uh, despite MLB now having a number of quality players from Japan and South Korea, uh, are teams like the Nats and the O's who do not play the Asian market making a mistake? I think in the middle tier of free agency, I'm really interested in somebody like Shota Imanaga, who just signed with the Cubs, because you know I think the the quality of Japan. This is another thing that's that's better now than it's ever been. That gap is is narrowing. You know, you just see like the stereotype of like the Japanese pitcher from even five or ten years ago, and look at the guys who are coming over now. Like they're they're nuts. Like just the the stuff that they're throwing, and so. I think that there there's probably less risk, but there's still, particularly when you take, and you know, maybe this isn't as true when you take into the the account the posting fees, um, the the value that you can get on those contracts. I think I would, you know, I'd rather spend fifteen million dollars on Imanaga than on whichever you know number five starter just happens to float up, you know, float down the the canal that morning. Um, it is risky because you don't know how a guy's going to adapt to a new country. You know, there's a culture shock going. We see culture shock even with guys moving within the U.S. Uh, so imagine how how wild that must be for somebody who might be the only Japanese speaker in his locker room. And so, you know, th- there are risks to that, but I think it's baked into the price, and there's a lot more bang for your buck. I think it's a, but this is one of those things. I think it takes some time to build up the groundwork, the scouting networks, the personal relationships with with agents, with the players themselves. You know. To get credibility that you know you see a lot of Japanese players sort of going to those West Coast teams because you know that's where that, their networks tell them is safe. I don't know, you know, for instance, if say a Suzuki was, uh, you know, how big a role if any he pay, played in in Imanaga going to, to Chicago. Um, but not every team pursues every. And this is particularly true of, of the international free agent market, both in the major league level and at the amateur level. Some teams just have different areas of focus. So, I, you know, I don't think it's an imperative, but I do think it's something that uh, that every team should be exploiting. And, and at least, and if you're not really going into that market, you should be comfortable with why not and, instead of just ignoring it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Great stuff. Michael Bauman of Fangraphs. Uh, Michael, thank you and all the best to you. All right. Thank you. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 747. We'll include a lot for you on the Commanders as I'll chat with Commanders insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Also on Wednesday show, we'll talk Capitals, Georgetown basketball, and Virginia Tech basketball. The camps are at the Minnesota Wild Tuesday night at 8. Georgetown is home to Butler Tuesday evening at 6.30. And Virginia Tech is home to Boston College Tuesday night at 9. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Growth and development. 